Good Friday. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I am your show host, Kyle Lamb. We are the only daily Buckeyes podcast out there. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Lot to talk about today. Ohio State, Maryland coming up noon on Saturday. Do the Terrapins really have the chops to knock off the Buckeyes tomorrow? I'll give you my opinion on that, whether or not Maryland is good enough to pull off this gigantic upset. Also, big weekend of college football. I'll give you my opinions on the teams that can afford to lose this weekend and the teams that cannot. And speaking of college football playoff, I'm going to tell you what television personality thinks big changes are coming to the college football playoff and sooner than you may think. How's that for a tease? We'll get into that later in the show. Locked on Buckeyes podcast is on all, pretty much all of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or say, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. We are sponsored by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye, licensed in 33 states, and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. We are also supported by GoBus, Ohio's rural intercity bus system, can bring you to Columbus for Ohio State sporting events. With over 40 stops to locations across the state, visit them at ridegobus.com or call them 1-888-95-GO-BUS. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. The show can be found on Twitter at LockedOnBuckeyesSingular. And you're free to follow me in all of my other endeavors, my other work on the Unscripted Ohio Podcast Network at UnscriptedOhio1 or follow it on your favorite podcasting platform. Okay, so the game tomorrow is going to be really interesting because Ohio State is a continues to be a 43 and a half point favorite. This opened at 44. The line went down a few points and has since hovered between 42 and 44 all week long. If push comes to shove, I think Ohio State wins this game easily. I'm not sure that they cover the 43-44 point line, but I do think that, as I've alluded to earlier in the week, there's plenty of motivation here for the Ohio State defense to win this game. They were embarrassed last year in College Park, and this was coming off of a couple of weeks where they already had motivation to try to Prove the doubters wrong from the earlier Purdue loss. They had made some strides. Remember the Minnesota game was was a game where they started off kind of poorly early in the game. And then the second half, to, to their credit, they shut Minnesota down and really played a lot better game. But they still didn't really figure it out. And the Maryland game was a uh, just a dreadful performance. They got shredded by this Maryland team. So on paper... If you're looking at this from an Ohio State point of view, you have some optimism that a team that is already really laser sharp and focused this year should have all the reasons in the world to approach this game as if it is a real test. 
nobody in that locker room is sitting there oblivious to the fact that Maryland has struggled this year. The first two games, Maryland looked like world beaters, but ever since then, they have been very, very human. Uh, let's let's be frank; they've been very bad. But the thing is, you have to actually approach this game with some respect for your opponent because M- Maryland does have some talent, which makes us all the plight and the roller coaster ride all that more perplexing. They've got some playmakers, especially offensively. The defense has been much maligned, I think, if if we're being honest. They've had a few bright spots here and there. Keandre Jones, transferred from Ohio State, has been a bright spot on that defense. But I don't see Maryland in any scenario being able to shut Ohio State down on Saturday. I just don't. But because that offense does still have some talent, I can't rule out the possibility of a four-quarter four game here, and I'm not predicting, and I, I think it will be a blowout. I kind of think 35-point range maybe, but give credit where credit is due. They've got two talented quarterbacks that uh, the numbers do not do them justice. That Josh Jackson and Terrell Pigram, last I saw, Maryland had not decided who was actually going to get the start this week. I kind of think it'll be Jackson. Pigram has been more of a roller coaster, but his ups have been a little bit better. He's completing close to 60% of his passes while Jackson has, has been under 50%. But the flip side of that coin is Jackson has 10 touchdowns, five interceptions, Pigram only three touchdowns and five interceptions and, and fewer attempts. So you kind of pick your poison. Uh, No pun intended there, (laughs) But, you know, I think that they go with Jackson because he's been a little bit more consistent, although Pigram's, as I said, Pigram's highs have been higher. The running game, you have to give some respect to. Anthony McFarland, who was really, really good last year, has not been as good this year. He's been very, very unpredictable, averaging four, 4.9 yards a carry, has seven touchdowns. But their big playmaker this year has been Javon Leak, who gave him credit in 75 attempts, is averaging 7.7 yards a carry with seven touchdowns. He's kind of been their big play guy. That was something that Anthony McFarland was for them last year. He's the guy that really chewed up Ohio State in that run game. So look, Maryland has offensive players. You watch them on film, you see some of that skill, some of that talent. And it, it's really, you know, all, all jokes aside, aside from the fact that they, they did uh, blitz FCS Howard and Syracuse, who we've learned not just the SC, the ACC thing. Uh, we can make jokes about the ACC until we're blue in the face. But all of that aside, it, it, Syracuse, of course, has not turned out to be a very good team. But still, it, Maryland looks so good in those first couple of weeks. And, and I, I just I can't explain what has happened to them since. But they have a better offense than, than they're showing. And so, uh, look, there is always the risk of Ohio State coming out flat-footed and just not being able to put Maryland away. I don't think that that is a very likely scenario, though. I mean, I I really do think Ohio State probably going to have some ups and downs. I don't think they're going to run roughshod like they have over some opponents. But then again, 35 points, even if that is the final margin, that is kind of more status quo, kind of more of the same. It's not covering the spread, 
but we've seen Ohio State be dominant all year long, and 35 points would still be above that low water mark that they've had of 24 points twice with FAU and Michigan State. I think the Buckeyes just need to come out and just play a good game. They don't have to have an A-plus showing. Just come out, don't have turnovers. Try to get the game put away reasonably early so you can get the starters and guys like Justin Fields, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins. uh, You know, those guys need to be out of the game early. Thayer Munford is another big one. He's been so vital to that run game. Guys like that, just get the big lead. Try to get them out by the end of the first half. You'd like to be able to go into the second half and be able to sit on the lead, really, and bring in the second and third teamers. Now, I've said this before. I don't think you approach this game with a strategy of telling your guys that we're trying to get you out. It's understood. Everybody knows the score. They know who they're playing. They know there's a reasonable chance of it not being a four-quarter game. But I think the minute that you let up and, and let it seep into your mind that you're treating this like it may not be a four-quarter game, that's when you start to get a little bit complacent. And I, I think everything that Ohio State has done to this point this year, all the buttons that Ryan Day has pushed, they, those buttons have, those actions have worked because they're not complacent. They're constantly motivating this team. They're focused. They're treating every opponent like it's the national championship, like they can lose this game at any time. And that's why you don't go into this game saying, hey, we're Justin, we're planning on trying to get you out as soon as possible. You just don't do that. If you take care of your business, that opportunity is going to be there. And I think Ohio State will continue that business-like approach the approach that has got Ohio State to this point and why they are 8-0 and one of the most incredibly balanced teams that I have ever seen. It's not hyperbole. This is a really, really good football team. So if they continue approaching games like they have, then I think that they will be allowed to roll on Saturday over Maryland and next Saturday over Rutgers. And then we all know it's a game on. You know, Think of Wayne and Garth in Wayne's world. Yeah, game on. That's, I mean, that's what it'll be. When, when Penn State gets to Columbus in three weeks from now, it will be game on. Coming up next segment, we're going to talk more college football playoff scenarios. Big games this week. Minnesota, Penn State, Alabama, LSU. Some thoughts on those games and which teams can afford to lose and which teams cannot. By the way, if you are interested in advertising with us, Locked On Buckeyes is expanding, and we have uh, great rates, great demographics. You can expand your business and grow your business with us. Just email us, LockedOnBuckeyes at gmail.com, and we can get you more information about advertising your business with us. We have a huge weekend of college football coming up. Two really monster games. Look, LSU-Alabama, I'll talk about that in a second, but that's low-hanging fruit. We all know how big that game is. It has huge ramifications, don't get me wrong. I'm a little annoyed, admittedly, about the game of the century moniker that it, that the media is giving this. First of all, they were calling the 2011 game the game of the century. They were calling the 2006 Ohio State-Michigan game game of the century. How many games of the century are we really going to have here? 
in my estimation, the 2011 game, it turned out to be a dud. And then worse, we got a rematch of the same game in the national championship game. And of course, that went the other direction. At least the, the regular season meeting between the two teams, LSU and Bama, the 96 game, at least that one was a close game. It was boring, not much action, not a really very good football game, but at least it was close. The national championship in the rematch was was not worth tuning in for. And of course, that game was a large reason why we got to this point with the four-team playoff. And as I said, I teased earlier, something interesting about the playoff, changes are coming according to one person. I will explain that here in the next segment. But this Bama-LSU game, don't get me wrong, it's big. I'm, I'm not even trying to downplay the significance of it. I'm just a little annoyed at the game of the century, quote-unquote. I'm using air quotes. That moniker is really annoying me. I'm a softie sometimes, so I'm easily, you guys know, I'm easily irritated, easily, people can get under my skin, but the game of the century thing, don't get me started on that. I, I think uh, the 2006 Ohio State-Michigan game did live up to the billing, 42-39, that was a fun one. Uh, I'm going to go with that as the game of the century. But the LSU-Bama game, I'll talk about that in a second. I'm really, really more interested in Minnesota and Penn State. It's a big test for Penn State going up to Minneapolis. I'm not sure how good this Minnesota team, and that's probably part of the intrigue for me. I'll say this. If you look back early into the season, Minnesota was not playing well. They were barely scraping by against teams like Fresno State, South Dakota State, Georgia Southern, uh, Purdue, those first four games were really rough for them. They did not look good. They, I thought that they were a pretender. Now, since then, to their credit, the last four Big Ten games that they have played, they've been beating up on bad teams like you would expect a good team to do. I've said this so many times. I use this argument. It's why I, I get a little annoyed at some of the Browns fans that just thought they were going to roll over easy part of the schedule you don't go from being a bad team to suddenly having team games against bad teams and expect to win consistently you might win some of them you might win more than you lose but if you're a bad team you don't beat other bad teams regularly okay you know the browns in that situation they were playing a tough tough schedule the first half of the year one of the toughest in the nfl but the problem is they had so many self-inflicted wounds with penalties and turnovers and poor red zone play. You just don't expect to go from doing the self-inflicted stuff and then just turn it on just because you're playing better teams and then get rid of those problems. The underlying issues are still there. And I'm not picking on the Browns. It's just that's one of the things you, you can't expect. And the Browns went and lost to the Broncos this week because – they were playing like a poor team would play. And so they ran into another poor team, and they got beat for a reason, in my estimation. Minnesota, I don't know that they're a great team, but they have proven by beating the bad teams regularly that they're supposed to beat. They're clearly at least a good team. Are they good enough to knock off Penn State with a really good defense, a couple of playmakers, a lot of speed and talent, 
a decent quarterback that I, I like better than Trace McSorley, by the way, Sean Clifford. That's the million-dollar question here. Can Minnesota run the table? If, if they can beat Penn State, let's start with Penn State. If they can beat Penn State, then I'll buy into the Minnesota hype a little bit. The problem for Minnesota is it's even tougher to determine how good of a team they are because, yes, they have been beating up on bad teams. I still say you have to be a good team if you're consistently beating up on bad teams. That's part of it. You can't just it, it, bad teams would just maybe win the game closely, but they're beating up on teams. But because of the quality of the schedule already and the fact that all four of their most recent Big Ten wins have come against backup quarterbacks, which that's incredible. I, I would like to know if that's ever happened because that right there is an incredible fact that they have gone up against four backup quarterbacks in a row. And so you do have to take Minnesota with a grain of salt, especially their defense, because their defense has really good Big Ten numbers, Big Ten or in-conference Big Ten numbers. But because they're facing so many backup quarterbacks, we don't know how good Minnesota's defense is. I think that they're good enough to beat Penn State, but I'm certainly not expecting it. They have Penn State, Iowa, and Wisconsin coming up this month. They have a chance to be undefeated going into that Ohio State game. If, if they, I mean, if they get by two of those three, they would win the West, and then they would go in, and if Ohio State takes care of business, they would play Ohio State. I didn't mean to jump forward like that. Sorry for startling any of you, especially for those of you that are superstitious. But Minnesota, I think that they are good enough potentially to run the gauntlet here, but I'm also in wait-and-see mode. Penn State, and I mentioned this in the in the Clemson discussion, Penn State is underrated as far as talent is concerned. I'm not sure that their offense is, is a big play, consistent big play offense. And I'm not sure that they'll be able to win all of these games coming up. But they are a good team and they're talented. They have 53 four and five star players on the roster. People don't realize, or I'm sorry, 52. They have 52 four- and five-star players on the roster. People don't realize that this is a very talented Penn State team from top to bottom. I don't know that they're, I think the, the line when I saw it was six and a half, and I think that's fair. I think that's right about where it should be. But I'm interested in seeing this game. Is Minnesota for real? I think they're a good team. I don't know that they're a national championship contender. I don't know that they're good enough to beat Penn State and Wisconsin, and Iowa, and Ohio State, and make the college football playoff. That's a big ask. But are they good enough to knock off one of these teams or two of these teams? Yeah, I think so. But if they really want to figure into the national championship plans, obviously they have to win this. That's number one. Penn State, I actually don't think that they do. Penn State can lose this game and then go on and win out, beat Ohio State. They would get the East bid into the championship and play Minnesota or Wisconsin. And I think that would be enough to get them into the playoff. So that's a good segue then to LSU and Bama. LSU, I think, is definitely in great shape with the win because if they beat Alabama, they're going to add to that really good resume, the profile. They're going to have a great strength of record, the big wins that you could ask for. And they're on easy street. From here on out, they have Arkansas. They have Texas A&M. They have, I think, uh, Ole Miss, I believe, is the other one. 
they have a really, really easy schedule going forward. So they're going to cakewalk. If they win this, they're going to cakewalk. They have a cakewalk into the SEC championship. And I think that they can afford to lose that at that point. If they win, they're obviously in because they'd be undefeated. But if they lose to Georgia at one loss, they've still got a chance to creep in. I'm not sure that the Pac-12 champion or even Clemson would be ahead of LSU if they beat Bama and have their only loss in the SEC championship. Now, Bama, on the other hand, I think Bama has to win this to stay in the discussion because they've still got Auburn coming up. Bama can't afford to lose this game. They just can't. Their strength of schedule in terms of winning percentage is 117 out of 130. I think the committee putting them at three, I don't think they were sending a message. I think that's just where they felt Bama belonged. I think it was a natural spot in the rankings to put them because Ohio State and LSU clearly deserved to be one and two. But them by being number three because of that schedule, lack of quality wins, Bama doesn't have wiggle room. All those people saying, well, there's no way they'd leave Bama left out if their only loss is LSU. I strongly take issue with that. I think if Bama loses to LSU, unless a lot of fluky things happen, I think Alabama is done with. So this is a really, really big game. LSU has wiggle room. Penn State over against Minnesota has wiggle room. Minnesota has no wiggle room, at least as far as the national championship contention is concerned. And Alabama, I I don't think that they have much either. So this is a huge game. LSU could afford to lose. Alabama, in my estimation, has to win this. No ifs, ands, or buts. Barring a lot of fluky things happening on the side. Coming up in the third segment, I teased it. Is the college football playoff changing? Hint, is it expanding? One person is adamant that it is. I'll tell you about that coming up. So I was listening to Joel Klatt on the Colin Cowherd show, and I'm not sure how many of you saw this. They, they posted an abbreviated clip online as they customarily do. Every week he appears on Cowherd's uh, television show. And they always put out a five-minute clip of him discussing the issues of the week on Coward. And they tweet it around and promote it. I was watching the whole appearance. I found it on YouTube, saw the whole thing from start to finish. And it was interesting because this did not get a lot of run in the media. I always love watching or listening to Clap, by the way, because he's one of those guys that even when you don't agree with him, he makes it sound so enticing. It's like, okay, yeah, I don't agree with that, but you know, boy, he, you know, he, he makes it sound reasonable. And that's why I like Clapp because he, he's the best at what he does because he's rational and reasonable about all of his opinions. Even if you don't agree with them all, like his, his opinion on the playoff, by the way, is that he prefers it stay at four teams. He doesn't want to go to an 18 playoff because it will mean, having automatic bids to each major conference, and he thinks that would ruin the regular season. I disagree, by the way. I think automatic bids would enhance the regular season because it's going to allow teams... Number one, it's going to mean that every single conference game 
down the stretch actually matters. You're going to have a lot of teams that are still in the running mathematically for the league, and then therefore every game that they play is actually going to mean something. And that, that, that isn't the case now. Most of the teams are out of it by November. In this kind of a system, with an eight-team automatic bid system, every conference is going to have probably half of its league, sometimes more, sometimes less, with a shot at going to the playoff, going into November. That's really exciting because you're going to have a lot of games that mean so much. And the other part of it, too, is it's going to enhance non-conference scheduling. Now, Joel's point is that you're going to make the non-conference games irrelevant by giving automatic bids. I get that. I really do. That is a decent argument, but I would say it would be, it would be compensated for by the fact that teams are going to schedule great non-conference games because there's not a big penalty for it. So it's kind of a good warm-up for college football. It may not mean as much those early games, the non-conference contests, but the fact that everybody would then have incentive to schedule big games, it's going to make it more entertaining early, and then the really important games will start when the conference game, the conference slate gets going. And the other thing, too, is you have to remember is, yes, you're going to have automatic bids, but you've also got at least two, maybe three at-large bids available. So you're still going to have the importance of the entire schedule, including non-conference games, because you're going to be rewarding the best teams, the two best teams that didn't win their league. So there is incentive there. So long way to get where we're going here is Klatt said, and this is kind of burying the lead because I teased this and, and got going into the philo- philosophy behind the expansion, but Klatt was on Cowherd, and he said in no uncertain terms that he's talked and spoken with to some very high ups in the college football playoff system, and he says it's not a question of if it's going to happen, but it will happen that they are going to expand to eight teams. And sooner than you think, all of these league contracts and the college football playoff contract all culminate with that 2025 season, which has led to a lot of people speculating that there will be conference alignment, realignment coming up again in the next few years, targeting that 2025 date when all these leagues have their media deals expiring. But Klatt actually went a step further and says, not only is it going to happen, they are going to expand to eight teams. They are going to have automatic bids for all five power conferences. But he said they may not wait until 2025. It may actually take effect and happen within the next three to four years. So by 2021, 2022, something like that, we could be getting an eight-team playoff. In my estimation, this is my analysis, this is not what Joel Klatt said. I think it is clear that we are heading that direction. Some of you are still kicking and screaming and don't want to go that route. I don't blame you. I disagree, but I don't blame you. I will say this. I am in favor of an 18 model. I think that is the best scenario for college football as a whole. I think you make more of these November games count I think it enhances 
non-conference, which is severely lacking. Nobody is scheduling anymore. Remember, it used to be everybody scheduled really well in the non-conference ske- in the non-conference portion of the schedule. It used to be all power conference teams playing one another, and then you slowly started to see that decline with the advent of the BCS and wanting more home games. Those two things combined are the reason we got to this point. So you take away at least one of those things. You're not going to take away the home game aspect. Teams are still going to want home games. But I think with huge showdowns, with more intra-conference showdowns in the non-conference schedule, the money will be there to compensate for the extra home games you might lose every other year. So I think that this is really good for college football. The scheduling is a big part of it. College football sucks in September. Let's just be honest. It does, because there are not enough primetime matchups, not enough big non-conference clashes. This would take a step to changing that. You could argue whether or not the games would matter as much, but at least for entertainment, for, for the fans, for the spectacle of the sport, this improves the product, and I'm all for that. So, Let me back it up and say this. I prefer the 18 model for the reasons I just mentioned. I'm also happy that we have a four-team system that, although I don't agree with the results of the selection, in some cases the last few years, I'm not crazy about the committee's inconsistency when it comes to the final selections. There are things that I I could change with the four-team playoff, but I I could also live with a four-team playoff if that's where we stayed. It's not my preference, but I can live with it because it is better than the BCS. It's better than the two, you know, handpicking two-team system that we used to have. But I think the A-team is the correct way to go. It's the best way to go. I don't want to say correct because I don't think it's a right or wrong. I think it's the best way to go. I am not in favor of Jim Harbaugh's 11-team model. I'm not in favor of a 12-team model. I think there's... A lot of fun that could be had with a 16-team model, but I'm not in favor of of going that direction. I know the slippery slope argument is there, but I want eight teams, and I want it to stay at eight teams because I think that's best for college football. It's exclusive. Only the upper 94, or the upper 6% of college football would make an eight-team playoff. That's 94% that would not make it. So it's still exclusive, especially compared to all the other sports. But those automatic bids, making all the conferences matter, also allowing for more non-conference clashes. This is great for college football. I know some of you are not crazy about the idea of the occasional you know, Wisconsin 5 loss team in 2012 that would make the playoff in this scenario. But that is an outlier. This decade, since 2010, there have been 38 conference championship games. Of those 38, 35 of them were won by teams with two losses or fewer. So that is three out of 38 that would have had more than two losses. Two of those had three losses, and the Wisconsin team I mentioned had five. So you really are talking about outlier. Most of these teams that would be making the playoffs would be doing so with one or two losses. And if there is an occasional upset where a four or five loss team upsets somebody to go to the playoff, that's not rewarding 
mediocre play or mediocrity. That's rewarding somebody that pulled off the upset and got the win and earned their way there. Are they one of the eight best teams? No. In the in those cases, no, they wouldn't be. But they were close enough to have the opportunity and cash in. And if they beat a top five team to get there, then in my opinion, that means they earned it. They still earned their way into the playoff. I guess for me, it comes down to the fact this is happening, clearly. Everybody's going to have to get on board because I think they are heading that direction. The only question is how will it look? Will it be a first round on campus sites? Will they incorporate four bowls? Regardless of how they do that, will the losers play in another bowl game? What I think could happen, I don't know that it will, but I think it's one scenario that could play out. If you play the first four games on campus sites, you're going to have to compensate with the bowls that are losing, a couple bowls that are losing premier opponents. So what I think could happen is you could say the four losers or the four winners could advance to the semifinal. The four losers could then advance to a pair of of the uh, the current New York New York uh, New Year's Six bowl games that we have now. So I think the advance the winners advance to the semifinal. The losers advance to two of the four two of the four other bowl games. I know this is really actually not a difficult scenario, but I'm making it tougher. I'm making it tougher on myself to spit out, but I, I hope you're following me. That's if they play the first round on campus sites. Now, they could just say those four games are going to be the other four bowl games and leave it at that. I know some of you really want the Georgia coming up to Columbus, Ohio in a December game for a playoff. That would be really exciting. I think that's what most of us want if it goes that direction. But you know how these guys are. The bowl games have been around forever. They cater to them. So who knows how that would look. Anyhow, so summary, Reader's Digest version. Joe Klatt said on Colin Cowherd this week with his weekly appearance, a eight-team playoff model is coming with automatic bids. He was not stating that as a possibility. He thinks it is happening and will happen in the next three to four years. That is interesting because Klatt does not want the 18 model, especially with the automatic bids. So it's not like he's wishful thinking here. He's a guy that would rather keep it at four. So for him to say that, I think, means a lot. So college football playoff expansion appears to be coming soon. Get on board with it, whether you like it or not. Get used to it. Now it's about the details. The devil is always in the details. How this works will determine whether this works or not. That is going to wrap it up for Locked on Buckeyes. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tell a friend, family member, a family member's friend, a friend's family member. I don't know. I may have said that twice. But spread the good word. Spread the cheer. Locked on Buckeyes, five days a week. You can hear us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Citrus Spotify, iHeartRadio, or by playing Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Check me out at Twitter, at KYLAMA. Check the show, at Locked on Buckeyes Singular. That's going to do it for me. I hope everybody has a great weekend. We'll be back at you on Monday with more Locked on Buckeyes to recap Ohio State, Maryland, and look ahead to Ohio State basketball with a big game next week. Villanova coming to town on Wednesday. Should be a fun week next week.
Have a great weekend.